0: Hey, GBLers, welcome to Get Busy Living, a podcast that brings inspiring people together to discover what ignites them to be bigger than themselves. I'm your host, Anne O'Neill. We are kicking off Women's History Month and March Madness with one of the all-time great TV broadcasters, Brenda Van Langen. Brenda's incredible career as a TV play-by-play and color commentator has spanned over 27 years including calling over 1,200 women's basketball games. She even won an Emmy. Brenda called many of my basketball games while playing at Iowa State University in Hilton Coliseum. And I was so excited to reconnect with her on her latest endeavor, a docu-series she is creating on the history of women's basketball called If Not For Them. The If Not For Them docu-series shares the epic story of the forgotten women who changed the world through the love of their sport. This is an important conversation where we shed a light on how courageous and talented women paved the way to play basketball years before Title IX and the support of the NCAA. The If Not For Them team is actively fundraising for the Netflix quality production of this docuseries. So while you are listening to our conversation, go to ifnotforthem.com to donate to this important series. Because when you remember those who came before you you create opportunities for those who come after you. All right, Brenda, welcome to Get Busy Living podcast. I am so excited you're here. By far, one of the kindest and most positive color commentators on all of television for any sport. So I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: It's good to see you too.
0: It's been too long, right? It's been a long time—probably one of those Big Twelve tournaments back in the day. But we were able to reconnect through LinkedIn and finding out about your incredible documentary series, which we're going to get to here in just a little bit. But first, let's give everyone some context about who you are and you know how awesome of an athletic career you had, and also your amazing and long broadcasting career. Uh, Well,
1: thank you. You know, I've always had a a life in sports. I grew up with my dad was a coach, so I was the little three or four year old tagging along at uh, volleyball practice. You know, picking up the water bottles and stuff from a very young age, <laughs> and uh, watching sports with my dad. And I, you know, played in high school in Nebraska, a very small town in Nebraska, so I got to be in all sports: volleyball, basketball, track. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in an era where I went to play in college and uh, played at the University of Nebraska Kearney. It was called Kearney State College at the time and I helped build up that program to an appearance in the NAI national tournament and just had so much fun playing basketball that I had planned on being a high school teacher and coach. Mm-hmm. And that's what I trained for and got my education in. But because I had such a great experience playing in college, I wanted to get involved with college sports. So. I reached out to the head coach at the University of Nebraska, worked their basketball camps and got hired at the University of Nebraska and was there for about five years before I decided it was time to move on. And moving on ended up being dipping my toe in broadcasting. So (laughs) the way I got involved was Nebraska Public Television had always been kind of ahead of the game. They had broadcasted girls high school basketball, but also University of Nebraska for years and years. So that's where I got my start. And the rest, as they say, is history. 27 years later, I've been doing a lot of broadcasting over the years.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, I love that you took the initiative to get into coaching. And then also when you saw that there was an opportunity to take the initiative to get into broadcasting. And for all of our listeners out there, we're talking over 1,200 women's basketball games that she has either been the play by play or the color analyst. So talk about your career being in television, especially at a time when women's sports is just kind of growing and growing.
1: Right. I mean, a lot of people ask me, did you get your degree in broadcast journalism? And I didn't. You know, there weren't (laughs) uh, in the 80s when I was playing, there weren't a lot of women's basketball games on television. So I would have been either really had a lot of foresight or, you know, just a dreamer if I would have gotten a broadcast journalism degree. So I really got involved as you know a former athlete and former coach. And I went to Nebraska Public Television and said, hey, I, I don't have a degree in this, but I, I know the game. I know the players. I love to talk. You know, <laughs> could I have an opportunity? And that's where I started. So I started those first few years. I got a I call it my lucky break. I walked into a game at uh, Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas. There was a KUK state game and I was just there to watch and it was nationally televised on Fox and the analyst for the game didn't show up. And so they grabbed me as I walked in the arena and asked me if I wanted to call the game. And so I got my, my debut on national television with like 20 minutes notice walking into the game. And so That was my lucky break, and that's how I was introduced to Fox Sports. And from then on, I was the Big 12 analyst or one of the Big 12 analysts, on Fox Sports for a lot of years. I got um, on ESPN a year later on the NCAA tournament and things just grew. And really, you know, I've done for a big portion of my career, I had 60 to 70 games per year, traveling all over the country, working for a lot of different networks and, you know, having the best seat in the house to call <laughs> women's basketball.
0: Oh, that's right. You know, and we have that big 12 commonality. And one of my lucky breaks was actually because of you calling basketball. I know we probably won't remember that. I forget the (laughs) season, but I think they either double booked you or you weren't able to make one of the games in Oklahoma and you said, what about Ann O'Neill to call this Fox Sports game? And so I remember going down there and I was like, that was just so kind. And like to for you to like be able to give me that that huge break to go down there and call the game. And I was like, I know I'm gonna have all my stories and research done and ready to go. So here we are back on the mic together. So I have to thank you so much for you know that break because it was so awesome to be able to see women calling women's sports, you know. And I know that you had So many fun ones, even in Hilton Coliseum. So, you know, yeah. Talk about some of your, you know, favorite memories or most fulfilling experience, I'd say, you know, sitting on those sidelines and and calling those games. Wow. There
1: are so many, (laughs) there are so many, but you know, one of my first NCAA tournament experiences was in Hilton Coliseum. It was in, I believe it was in 2000 either 2000 or 2001, but that that era, mm-hmm. you know, the era of the Angie Welles and Megan oh, Taylors yes. and all yes, of the great Stacey players that mm-hmm. I was Stacy Freeze, Yep. Some really good early memories of NCAA tournament. There's actually a picture of me interviewing Bill Finley after a game. And I'm such a rookie. I have my credential on around my neck while uh, I'm interviewing him. <laughs> and that's like a big no-no in, in television. <laughs> like take your credential off when you're interviewing the coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, a lot of years at Hilton Coliseum, I was able to call a couple of national championship games from my alma mater at the University of nebraska Kearney Division II national championships. That was really cool. I've been on so many Big 12 uh, women's basketball championships over the years. In 2013, I did the World University Games in Kazan, Russia. And so it was such an honor that my voice was going back from Russia to the United States to call a game that the USA won a gold medal in. So that oh, was amazing. Wow. And then I've worked, besides calling games, I've actually worked on this cool telestrator that shows the spot shadows and the lines and things like that. So I've been able to be in the truck for several WNBA finals and several like over 15 NCAA championship games and final fours where the announcer, you know, talks about a certain strategy or a certain player standing out and I'm the one in the background, like drawing the the lines and oh. the spot shadows. So, you know, I've just, I've been so lucky. I've had 27 years now of, broadcasting games. I've been a game analyst. I've been play-by-play. I've been behind the scenes. I've been sideline reporter. And like I said, I, I just get the best seat in the house for some of the absolute best games.
0: <laughs> That's so amazing. And for you know listeners or you know, watchers of women's basketball games or even March Madness, you see the graphics pop up, you see the replays, and you don't realize there's just such a huge team behind in a truck, you know, producing and directing. And then, of course, you have people talking in your ear while you're also trying to tell the story of the game. Yeah, You know, one of the things I went to the College World Series in Omaha for an internship with ESPN, uh, one of our friends, Carol Stiff, back in the day. And so I was able to see that up front, what that looks like in the truck and then what they're doing in the booth. And oh, my gosh, there's so many moving parts. So I have to commend you for creating such a story for us to all be able to follow. It's so fun. Well,
1: thank you. And (laughs) I mean, it really is amazing what people do behind the scenes to make a television broadcast of a game happen. And even right now I'm sitting in a spare bedroom in our house. This is where I broadcast games for ESPN right now. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Sometimes this season I'm in person. Sometimes I'm calling it from home. I've got a big screen. I've got a camera. I've got lights. I've got communications box, you know, just for that to happen, to be able to call a game somewhere else from my house, the technology behind it, all the moving parts, all the people that make that happen. I mean, people would be absolutely amazed if they knew how uh, games get on television. For sure.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. I mean, you sound and look are just beautiful and amazing right here. So and to <laughs> hear that you're calling a game from your own spare bedroom and That's just wild to think about Mm -hmm. the technology these days. What have you discovered in your 27 years that you're still learning newly about either the sport or production or just kind of how you show up and keep growing as a commentator?
1: Well, that's a great question. I got into broadcasting as a former player and coach that loves the X's and O's of the game and loves to describe, I love to describe like how things happen, how things develop, Mm -hmm. things that most people, when they watch a game, they don't see because they're watching the ball and they don't see everything that's developing. And, and so I, I started by using that part of my strength to just explain why that player got so open or Mm -hmm. why this offense isn't working against this defense or, or whatever the case. And then about 10 to 12 years into my career, I started being asked by a lot of network executives, hey, would you consider doing play by play for us? And I at first I was like, no, that person like has broadcast journalism degree. They have special training. I don't Mm -hmm. know how to do that. I'm a former player and coach that can break down the game. And. Mm the more I kept being asked by people, the more I realized they were seeing something in me that I didn't see in myself. They knew about opportunities that I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And I just needed to be open to saying yes. And that's something in all of us that even if it's risky, even if you might fail, even if it's hard and challenging, you know, step out because you never know. That's one of my favorite (laughs) lines. You never know. And so that's when I started doing play by play. And honestly, I was really bad at the beginning. (laughs) I remember the (laughs) very first game, (laughs) they threw up the ball and it was Texas A&M and Cal. (laughs) I mean, not two small schools, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the game starts and I'm all, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're
0: setting the scene. Oh, yeah. Wow.
1: And so when you're the play-by-play, you are saying who did something and what they did. If you're the analyst, you're explaining why and how. And that's how the two announcers work together. So it took me a while to really understand my role as play-by-play. Mm. And even now I go back and forth. Sometimes I'm the analyst, sometimes I'm play-by-play. So what, what have I learned? You know, I've had to learn to switch gears. I've had to learn to use my strengths as a television person for so many years as a basketball observer for so many years and bring that mm. to play by play. I don't think I'm a play by play announcer like anybody else, because there are people that are a much more professional play by play announcers than me. There's no doubt about it, but I bring a different perspective and experience and voice. And so, you know, and all those things And people that are watching, you know, mm-hmm. whatever your strengths are, take advantage of your advantage. What is it that you bring to the table that is your strength and then leverage that to the best of your ability? I didn't play at a division one school. I didn't, I was never a head coach at a division one institution. I never played professionally. I never played in the Olympics. You know, a Mm. lot of people that you watch on television that have all these credentials, I don't have any of those credentials, but I was able to leverage what I did do and what my strengths are to parlay this 27 year career and be able to be on the sideline for a lot of great games.
0: That is tremendous. And it sounds like it's only going to keep growing, especially with, like you said, the technology that you can call from anywhere. And now you can play any role in that television, whether it's the telestrator, the color commentator, play by pay. And just for everyone listening, we have to talk about you winning an Emmy in 2010. (laughs) So I don't know if I've ever met someone that's won an Emmy before. It was for this Fox Sports Midwest broadcast of the 2009 We Pack charity basketball game. Just talk a little bit about that, because what an honor. That is so, so incredible.
1: Yeah, it was really cool. The game itself was amazing. A former male cheerleader at Southwest Missouri State, who cheered when Jackie Stiles was playing at Southwest Missouri, became a hospital CEO in a small community in rural Kansas. Mm -hmm. and wanted to do something special to do fundraising for preventative health care for girls and women in those rural communities. And he and some others in the community came up with this idea. How about if we host a women's basketball game and bring in a bunch of celebrities like Jackie Mm -hmm. Styles and former professional and college players to play? And then what if we televise it? And so he contacted me and asked me if I would be a part of the broadcast. And I thought, If you get that on TV, yeah, of course, but I don't think you're going to get that on TV. You know, some small town, rural Kansas, it was a long (laughs) shot. And this guy, uh, Benjamin Anderson is his name. He's Mm. so fantastic. He'd be a good person to interview on your podcast. He's an amazing person, I got (laughs) to tell you. And he got this going, got Fox there. They had me come in. We broadcast this game and all these... WNBA players, all these rural people that they had the high school girls play with the WNBA players and we just called the game and our broadcast got an Emmy and so I'm an Emmy (laughs) Award winner and uh, it was really a special thing to be a part of.
0: Wow, just your first one. We're just getting to the next (laughs) piece where you never know what can happen, which was one of your main quotes that you really like. So we wanted to chat because I saw you on LinkedIn about talking About If Not for Them. And I was like, what is this documentary she's making about women's basketball? So I'll let you kick it off and talk a little bit about this huge project that you're doing to shine a light on the history of women's basketball.
1: Well, there have not been a lot of documentaries written about the history of women's basketball. And I just thought, especially as we're about to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Title IX, Mm -hmm. that we need to within our community have the origin story of college women's basketball. How did we get started? And the idea being, if not for them, if not for those brave, courageous, relentless women and some great men as well, we would not have what we do today. Mm -hmm. And so that's how the idea came up. There are a lot of retired legendary coaches uh, right now that we want to make sure we capture their stories while we still are able to. And as I've been interviewing and talking to so many of them on the phone, they keep sharing new stories with me. And as I was doing it, the last dance documentary series about uh, the Chicago Bulls came out. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, we need to have that kind of quality and that kind of extensive documentary series about the origin story of college women's basketball. So that's how it came about. And uh, we're rolling.
0: That is, it's amazing. You know, when i was growing up you know you just usually got to see the next three or four girls that were just a couple of years ahead of you or maybe if you went yeah. to a college basketball game and were able to watch it on tv those were just a couple of years ahead of you and not like the entire history so i watched the if not for them trailer i was already blown away that i didn't know half of the stories in there and just to give you guys again some context the documentary series is detailing the epic story of the forgotten women who changed the world for the love of their sport so that That is the tagline and you can go to if not for them, if you're listening to the podcast right now to kind of get a little bit more into the storylines. So you mentioned it's the 50th year of Title IX. And it is only the 40th year for NCAA championships for women's basketball. So there's that 10-year gap. And then you have the history of women's basketball. To speak a little bit about that, of why it's so important to get the history and also the difference between Title IX and when NCAA women's basketball championships started.
1: Yeah, that's it's a great question, right? How is it that we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of the NCAA championships, the 50th anniversary right. of Title IX? <laughs> How does that drive? <laughs> Well, that's what this documentary series is about. There were a group of women that actually knew that there were college women that wanted to compete in sports, compete for championships in the late 60s. And they went to the NCAA, who was well established by that time for men's sports, and said, hey, we know that women want to compete. You have the championship structure. Mm -hmm. Would you consider having women's sports be a part of the NCAA? And the answer was an emphatic no. (laughs) No, thank you. Mm. We are an organization for men and by men, and we're not interested in women's sports. Wow. And so, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right.
0: Shocking, shocking right now.
1: Yeah, right. And so this group of women if they wanted to provide opportunities for women to participate in sports at the college level had to form their own organization and that's exactly what they did mm-hmm. and they formed this organization called the association for intercollegiate athletics for women the mm-hmm. AIAW they put together their own recruiting rules their own governance structure and their own championship structure because the men weren't interested so they weren't going to do what the men did they couldn't even partner with them because there was no interest wow At about the same time, Title IX was being discussed in Washington, D.C., originally not for sports. That's what we all know it for. But it was because there were women that wanted to be admitted into medical school or into engineering school or law school, and they weren't being allowed those educational opportunities because they were women. Because the prevailing mindset was, well, they're just going to get married and have kids. And so what do we want to waste an education on a woman for? I mean, oh my seriously, <laughs> that's how people thought. And so Title IX, originally, the education amendment was so that women and men were given equal opportunities in education. Mm. And that's what Title IX is about, is equal opportunities in education.
0: I'm so glad we're having this conversation. I didn't even know that.
1: (laughs) Right. That's what it was for. There was a, a woman that was involved in helping write it that couldn't get into med school, couldn't get into law school. So she became a politician and got voted into Congress and then went and helped write the Title IX legislation. So... The NCAA had their lobbyists in Washington, D.C. for various things. And one of them, uh, one of their lobbyists went to the members of Congress and said, so this Title IX thing, it didn't have anything to do with sports, right? And they're like, well, in fact, it does, because sports are offered through educational opportunities Mm -hmm. and all hell broke loose. (laughs) The NCAA, who already said they weren't interested in sponsoring women's sports, they sure as heck didn't want All their men's programs to be in jeopardy because now there were also going to be women's sports. Mm -hmm. So all these universities and the NCAA actually spent over a million dollars to try to battle and knock down Title IX at the beginning. And so, so not only were these women having their own organization, but they were also having to fight the battles just to have Title IX being applied to sports. And so all the stories that come out of that, and I've got so many great stories that are going to come through in this documentary series that I can't tell you all of them now. Right. But some, some pockets of the country and what the battles were that had to be fought in order to just get universities to pay attention to giving women opportunities and then ultimately for the NCAA to acquiesce and say yeah we need to also sponsor and support women's sports eventually all of that came to be in the 70s and there are so many great stories that led up to it
0: wow you know It's going to be such a powerful conversation to have because the way that we look at Title IX is about sports. And we don't even realize that that wasn't the opportunity they were looking for to give to women. And just how far we've come since the 1950s. I would love for you to talk a little bit about this, the really great Wayland College, the Flying Queens. That was so fun to watch them. I was amazed by their ball handling skills of the 1950s, you know, where they won 10 AAU championships. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. If people haven't seen it on them.com, they can actually see some of the video footage that we've uncovered. But basically, because there weren't opportunities in colleges for women to compete in sports, In the 1940s and 50s and 60s, there was AAU competition and there were these communities around the country that had like businesses would support a women's basketball team. So Nashville Business College Mm. and Haynes Hosiery in North Carolina just there are a lot of different uh, Raytown Piperettes, uh, piping company in Raytown, Missouri. <laughs> they had these teams that the company would support a women's basketball program and they would compete in AAU competition. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of colleges. So one was uh, Iowa Wesleyan. So you being mm-hmm. familiar yeah. with Iowa, that they have a deep history. Mm-hmm. And then the Wayland Baptist College Flying Queens. And so basically the president of the university, was interested in having a women's basketball program. And he got a local gentleman who had flown in the war to, and had a flying service to fly his players to Mexico for an international competition. And then when they came back, the president of the university asked uh, this gentleman, Claude Hutcherson, would you fly our team around for these AAU basketball competitions? Oh. <laughs> and he did. And so oh, wow. they had these four seater airplanes oh, wow. and they flew around. Around the country and they competed in these AAU competitions. And the national championship was in St. Joe, Missouri every mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. for a long time. And there were great crowds. There was a lot of interest. There was newspaper coverage and a lot of interest. And that's where a lot of women had the opportunity to compete at a high level in the 1950s and 60s. And they really laid the groundwork for colleges wanting to have women's competition than in the 70s. So, You know, I've had a chance to talk to some of these women that competed for the Flying Queens and flew all over the country. And you talked about their ball handling skills. There was one time when they got snowed in in a hotel. I believe it was Kansas City. Some people think it was Kansas City. Some people think it was Nashville. They're not sure. (laughs) But they got snowed in and the Harlem Globetrotters were actually in the hotel also. Oh wow! And so the head coach for the Flying Queens went to the Harlem Globetrotters and said, would you teach our players, some of those tricks. And so these flying Queens women's basketball players, they started learning these ball handling tricks that the Harlem Globetrotters did in their performances. (laughs) And so every game they would come out and they would do like a Harlem Globetrotter type routine. And people came (laughs) from all over just to watch these women handle the ball. They were tremendous and they didn't play five on five full court. Like we know basketball. Uh Uh-huh. They played six on six with three on one end and three on the other. Well, actually, that was the high school. And, you know, that mm-hmm. that was in Iowa and different places. Yes. But they uh-huh. actually had two players on one end, two on the other, and then two ran up and down the court because evidently only two women had the ability to run up and down the court without, uh-huh. you know. Their uterus falling out, (laughs) or they're, uh, I'm having a heart attack, or something like that, right?
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh! Uh, Oh, I mean, unbelievable story to hear about the Harlem Globetrotters, and that they were literally trotting around the United States in this plane. So, thank you for for sharing that story because it it just goes to show, like you said, in the fifties, you got to do this, and you're playing six on six, or two on two and two <laughs> and yeah, right, then, exactly yeah, whatever that looks like and then and then how it grew each and every year and decade. So looking at 2022 right now on the the 50th anniversary of Title IX, why is it still so important to elevate women in sports whether it's players, whether it's people like yourself that are doing broadcasting, why do we need to highlight everything like that? Just give everyone a little bit of context on that why it's still so important.
1: Well, you know, there's been so much growth over the years. And so many of those stories from those early years are connected directly to the stories of today. And that's what, if not for them, is going to also highlight is Mm. some of the direct connections. You know, Don Staley coming from Philadelphia, being an Olympic coach, coaching South Carolina to a national championship. There were black women in Philadelphia back in the 1930s that were competing in basketball that set the stage. And so there's like all of these connections through history and you know why it continues to be so important because girls and women should have the same opportunities that men do. And they are talented and skilled and athletic. And the more that we support them by, you know, watching them on television, going in person to watch them compete in games, The more sponsors contribute to the well-being and the resources that are available. All of those things contribute to a more productive society overall. Right. When we have men and women both contributing, both being supported and celebrated, we have a much better situation for everybody because we're not ignoring half of the population. And we are giving opportunities. We're celebrating. I mean, there's so many great stories right now. You know, in the WNBA, $75 million mm. new money is being contributed yes. to that league and, and supporting it. The NWSL soccer is growing here. I live in Kansas City. We're going to have the first major league soccer stadium built just for a women's professional team built right here in Kansas City, which is fantastic. And it's just the beginning of Mm -hmm.
0: what we will experience. You know, we've been slow to come around and they started and then say the name, image, and likeness, and we've had some really great women's basketball players already be able to take advantage of that because so many people watch them on social media and then watch their games and going to be able to take advantage. I know Paige Bucher's signed with Gatorade even as as a collegiate athlete. So that's very fresh, but it is going to be a big opening for women in sports. And I love what you said that We have a more cohesive strategy and game plan and voice when we have everyone contributing. It's just like with a basketball team, you need all 12 and 15 players, you know, and we need everyone in society really stepping up and, and giving everyone opportunities. Representation matters, you know, whether
1: it's race, whether it's gender, whether it's sexual orientation, whatever the case, we need everybody contributing so that we are most successful.
0: Well, you're making such a huge impact. I'm so excited for this documentary. Again, documentary series. It's called If Not For Them, and you can go check it out at www.ifnotforthem.com. And so excited to see the, all the stories and how it's going to shape women's basketball and being able to look back on what we have and then create an even brighter future. So, Brenda, thank you so much for all that you're doing and for saying yes to being on the, the Get Busy Living podcast.
1: I love it. I love what you are doing. So thank you, Anne, for amplifying voices of people that are doing positive work and, uh, you know, kind of beyond themselves. And I love listening to your podcast. So thank you for inviting me to be a part of
0: that. Well, thank you so much for listening to our conversation if you have a GBL story in your life share it with me on Instagram at get underscore pod I might just share your story on a future episode thank you for sharing in the good vibes and giving back and GBLing with us